Section 10 of Natural Theology by William Paley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 of the Vessels of Animal Bodies, Part 1. The circulation of the blood through the bodies of men and quadrupeds, and the apparatus by which it is carried on, compose a system and testify a contrivance, perhaps the best understood of any part of the animal frame. The lymphatic system, or the nervous system, may be more subtle and intricate, nay, it is possible that in their structure they may be even more artificial than the sanguiferous, but we do not know so much about them. The utility of the circulation of the blood I assume as an acknowledged point. One grand purpose is plainly answered by it, the distributing to every part, every extremity, every nook and corner of the body, the nourishment which is received into it by one aperture. What enters at the mouth finds its way to the finger's ends. A more difficult mechanical problem could hardly, I think, be proposed than to discover a method of constantly repairing the waste and of supplying an accession of substance to every part of a complicated machine at the same time. This system presents itself under two views. First, the disposition of the blood vessels, i.e. the laying of the pipes, and secondly, the construction of the engine at the center, viz. the heart, for driving the blood through them. 1. The disposition of the blood vessels, as far as regards the supply of the body, is like that of the water pipes in a city, viz. large and main trunks branching off by smaller pipes, and these again by still narrower tubes, in every direction and towards every part, in which the fluid which they convey can be wanted. So far, the water pipes, which serve a town, may represent the vessels, which carry the blood from the heart. But there is another thing necessary to the blood, which is not wanted for the water, and that is, the carrying of it back again to its source. For this office, a reversed system of vessels is prepared, which, uniting at their extremities with the extremities of the first system, collects the divided and subdivided streamlets, first by capillary ramifications into larger branches, secondly by these branches into trunks, and thus returns the blood, almost exactly inverting the order in which it went out, to the fountain from whence its motion proceeded, all which is evident mechanism. The body, therefore, contains two systems of blood vessels, arteries and veins. Between the constitution of the systems there are also two differences, suited to the functions which the systems have to execute. The blood, in going out, passing always from wider into narrower tubes, and in coming back from narrower into wider, it is evident that the impulse and pressure upon the sides of the blood vessels will be much greater in one case than the other. Accordingly, the arteries which carry out the blood are formed with much tougher and stronger coats than the veins which bring it back. That is one difference. The other is still more artificial, or, if I may so speak, indicates still more clearly the care and anxiety of the artificer. For as much as in the arteries, by reason of the greater force with which the blood is urged along them, a wound or a rupture would be more dangerous than in the veins, these vessels are defended from injury, not only by their texture, but by their situation, and by every advantage of situation which can be given to them. They are buried in sinuses, or they creep along grooves made for them in the bones. For instance, the under edge of the ribs is sloped and furrowed solely for the passage of these vessels. Sometimes they proceed in channels, protected by stout parapets on each side, which last description is remarkable in the bones of the fingers, these being hollowed out on the underside like a scoop, 
and with such a concavity that the finger may be cut across to the bone without hurting the artery which runs along it. At other times the arteries pass in canals wrought in the substance and in the very middle of the substance of the bone. This takes place in the lower jaw, and is found where there would otherwise be danger of compression by sudden curvature. All this care is wonderful, yet not more than what the importance of the case required. To those who venture their lives in a ship, it has often been said that there is only an inch board between them and death. But in the body itself, especially in the arterial system, there is, in many parts, only a membrane, a skin, a thread, for which reason this system lies deep under the integuments, whereas the veins, in which the mischief that ensues from injuring the coats is much less, lie in general above the arteries, come nearer to the surface, are more exposed. It may be further observed, concerning the two systems taken together, that, though the arterial, with its trunk and branches and small twigs, may be imagined to issue or proceed, in other words, to grow from the heart, like a plant from its root, or the fibers of a leaf from its footstock, which, however, were it so, would be only to resolve one mechanism into another, yet the venal, the returning system, can never be formed in this manner. The arteries might go on shooting out from their extremities, i.e. lengthening and subdividing indefinitely, but an inverted system, continually uniting its streams instead of dividing, and thus carrying back what the other system carried out, could not be referred to the same process. 2. The next thing to be considered is the engine which works this machinery, viz. the heart. For our purpose it is unnecessary to ascertain the principle upon which the heart acts, whether it be irritation excited by the contact of the blood, by the influx of the nervous fluid, or whatever else be the cause of its motion, it is something which is capable of producing, in a living muscular fiber, reciprocal contraction and relaxation. This is the power we have to work with, and the inquiry is how this power is applied in the instance before us. There is provided in the central part of the body a hollow muscle, invested with spiral fibers running in both directions, the layers intersecting one another. In some animals, however, appearing to be semicircular rather than spiral. By the contraction of these fibers, the sides of the muscular cavities are necessarily squeezed together, so as to force out from them any fluid which they may at that time contain. By the relaxation of the same fibers, the cavities are in their turn dilated, and, of course, prepared to admit every fluid which may be poured into them. Into these cavities are inserted the great trunks, both of the arteries which carry out the blood, and of the veins which bring it back. This is a general account of the apparatus, and the simplest idea of its action is that, by each contraction, a portion of blood is forced, as by a syringe, into the arteries, and at each dilatation an equal portion is received from the veins. This produces, at each pulse, a motion and change in the mass of blood to the amount of what the cavity contains, which, in a full-grown human heart, I understand, is about an ounce, or two tablespoons full. How quickly these changes succeed one another, and by this succession how sufficient they are to support a stream or circulation throughout the system, may be understood by the following computation, abridged from Kyle's Anatomy, page 117, edition 3. Quote, Each ventricle will at least contain one ounce of blood. The heart contracts four thousand times in one hour, from which it follows that there passes through the heart every hour four thousand ounces, or three hundred and fifty pounds of blood. Now the whole mass of blood is said to be about twenty-five pounds, so that a quantity of blood equal to the whole mass of blood passes through the heart fourteen times in one hour, 
which is about once every four minutes. Close quote. Consider what an affair this is when we come to very large animals. The aorta of a whale is larger in the bore than the main pipe of the waterworks at London Bridge, and the water roaring in its passage through that pipe is inferior in impetus and velocity to the blood gushing from the whale's heart. Hear Dr. Hunter's account of the dissection of a whale. Quote, the aorta measured a foot diameter. Ten or fifteen gallons of blood is thrown out of the heart at a stroke with an immense velocity through a tube of a foot diameter. The whole idea fills the mind with wonder. Close quote. The account which we have here stated of the injection of blood into the arteries by the contraction and of the corresponding reception of it from the veins by the dilatation of the cavities of the heart and of the circulation being thereby maintained through the blood vessels of the body is true but imperfect the heart performs this office but it is in conjunction with another of equal curiosity and importance it was necessary that the blood should be successively brought into contact or contiguity or proximity with the air i do not know that the chemical reason upon which this necessity is founded has been yet sufficiently explored it seems to be made appear that the atmosphere which we breathe is a mixture of two kinds of air one pure and vital for the purposes of life the other effete foul and noxious that when we have drawn in our breath the blood in the lungs imbibes from the air thus brought into contiguity with it a portion of its pure ingredient and at the same time gives out the effete or corrupt air which it contained and which is carried away along with the halitus every time we expire at least by comparing the air which is breathed from the lungs with the air before it enters the lungs it is found to have lost some of its pure part and to have brought away with it an addition of its impure part whether these experiments satisfy the question as to the need which the blood stands in of being visited by continual accesses of air is not for us to inquire into nor material to our argument it is sufficient to know that in the constitution of most animals such a necessity exists and that the air, by some means or other, must be introduced into a near communication with the blood. The lungs of animals are constructed for this purpose. They consist of blood vessels and air vessels lying close to each other, and wherever there is a branch of the trachea or windpipe, there is a branch accompanying it of the vein and artery, and the air vessel is always in the middle between the blood vessels. The internal surface of the vessels, upon which the application of the air to the blood depends, would, if collected and expanded, be, in a man, equal to a superficies of fifteen feet square. Now, in order to give the blood in its course the benefit of this organization, and this is the part of the subject with which we are chiefly concerned, the following operation takes place. As soon as the blood is received by the heart from the veins of the body, and before that it is sent out again into its arteries, it is carried by the force of the contraction of the heart, and by means of a separate and supplementary artery, to the lungs and made to enter the vessels of the lungs from which after it has undergone the action whatever it be of that viscous it is brought back by a large vein once more to the heart in order when thus concocted and prepared to be from thence distributed anew into the system this assigns to the heart a double office the pulmonary circulation is a system within a system and one action of the heart is the origin of both for this complicated function, four cavities become necessary, and four are accordingly provided. Two, called ventricles, which send out the blood, viz. one into the lungs in the first instance, the other into the mass after it has returned from the lungs, 
two others also called oracles which receive the blood from the veins viz one as it comes immediately from the body the other as the same blood comes a second time after its circulation through the lungs so that there are two receiving cavities and two forcing cavities the structure of the heart has reference to the lungs for without the lungs one of each would have been sufficient the translation of the blood in the heart itself is after this manner the receiving cavities respectively communicate with the forcing cavities and by their contraction unload the received blood into them the forcing cavities when it is their turn to contract compel the same blood into the mouths of the arteries the account here given will not convey to a reader ignorant of anatomy anything like an accurate notion of the form action or use of the parts nor can any short and popular account do this but it is abundantly sufficient to testify contrivance and although imperfect being true as far as it goes may be relied upon for the only purpose for which we offer it the purpose of this conclusion the wisdom of the creator saith hamburger quote, is in nothing seen more gloriously than in the heart Close quote. and how well doth it execute its office an anatomist who understood the structure of the heart might say beforehand that it would play but he would expect i think from the complexity of its mechanism and the delicacy of many of its parts that it should always be liable to derangement or that it would soon work itself out yet shall this wonderful machine go night and day for eighty years together at the rate of a hundred thousand strokes every twenty-four hours having at every stroke a great resistance to overcome and shall continue this action for this length of time without disorder and without weariness but further from the account which has been given of the mechanism of the heart it is evident that it must require the interposition of valves that the success indeed of its action must depend upon these for when any one of its cavities contracts the necessary tendency of the force will be to drive the enclosed blood not only into the mouth of the artery where it ought to go but also back again into the mouth of the vein from which it flowed in like manner when by the relaxation of the fibres the same cavity is dilated the blood would not only run into it from the vein which was the course intended but back from the artery through which it ought to be moving forward the way of preventing a reflux of the fluid in both these cases is to fix valves which like floodgates may open a way to the stream in one direction and shut up the passage against it in another the heart constituted as it is can no more work without valves than a pump can when the piston descends in a pump if it were not for the stoppage by the valve beneath the motion would only thrust down the water which it had before drawn up a similar consequence would frustrate the action of the heart valves therefore properly disposed i e properly with respect to the course of the blood which it is necessary to promote are essential to the contrivance and valves so disposed are accordingly provided a valve is placed in the communication between each auricle and its ventricle lest when the ventricle contracts part of the blood should get back again into the auricle instead of the whole entering as it ought to do the mouth of the artery a valve is also fixed at the mouth of each of the great arteries which take the blood from the heart leaving the passage free so long as the blood holds its proper course forward closing it whenever the blood in consequence of the relaxation of the ventricle would attempt to flow back there is some variety in the construction of these valves though all the valves of the body act nearly upon the same principle and are destined to the same use in general they consist of a thin membrane lying close to the side of the vessel and consequently allowing an open passage whilst the stream runs one way but thrust out from the side by the fluid getting behind it 
and opposing the passage of the blood when it would flow the other way. Where more than one membrane is employed, the different membranes only compose one valve. Their joint action fulfills the office of a valve. For instance, over the entrance of the right auricle of the heart into the right ventricle, three of these skins or membranes are fixed. Of a triangular figure, the bases of the triangles fastened to the flesh, the sides and summits loose, but, though loose, connected by threads of a determinate length with certain small fleshy prominences adjoining. The effect of this construction is that, when the ventricle contracts, the blood endeavoring to escape in all directions, and amongst other directions pressing upwards, gets between these membranes and the sides of the passage, and thereby forces them up into such a position as that, together, they constitute, when raised, a hollow cone, the strings before spoken of, hindering them from proceeding or separating further. Which cone, entirely occupying the passage, prevents the return of the blood into the auricle? A shorter account of the matter may be this. So long as the blood proceeds in its proper course, the membranes which compose the valve are pressed close to the side of the vessel and occasion no impediment to the circulation. When the blood would regurgitate, they are raised from the side of the vessel and, meeting in the middle of its cavity, shut up the channel. Can anyone doubt of contrivance here, or is it possible to shut our eyes against the proof of it? This valve also is not more curious in its structure than it is important in its office. Under the play of the valve, even upon the proportioned length of the strings or fibers which check the ascent of the membranes, depends, as it should seem, nothing less than the life itself of the animal. We may here likewise repeat what we before observed concerning some of the ligaments of the body, that they could not be formed by any action of the parts themselves. There are cases in which, although good uses appear to arise from the shape or configuration of a part, yet that shape and configuration itself may seem to be produced by the action of the part, or by the action or pressure of adjoining parts. Thus the bend and the internal smooth concavity of the ribs may be attributed to the equal pressure of the soft bowels. The particular shape of some bones and joints, to the traction of the annexed muscles, or to the position of contiguous muscles. But valves could not be so formed. Action and pressure are all against them. The blood, in its proper course, has no tendency to produce such things, and, in its improper or reflected current, has a tendency to prevent their production. Whilst we see, therefore, the use and necessity of this machinery, we can look to no other account of its origin or formation than the intending mind of a creator. Nor can we without admiration reflect that such thin membranes, such weak and tender instruments as these valves are, should be able to hold out for seventy or eighty years. Here also we cannot consider, but with gratitude, how happy it is that our vital motions are involuntary. We should have enough to do if we had to keep our hearts beating and our stomachs at work. Did these things depend, we will not say upon our effort, but upon our bidding, our care, or our attention, they would leave us leisure for nothing else. We must have been continually upon the watch, and continually in fear, nor would this constitution have allowed of sleep. It might perhaps be expected that an organ so precious, of such central and primary importance as the heart is, should be defended by a case. The fact is that a membranous purse or bag, made of strong, tough materials, is provided for it, holding the heart within its cavity, sitting loosely and easily about it, guarding its substance without confining its motion, and containing likewise a spoonful or two of water just sufficient to keep the surface of the heart in a state of suppleness and moisture. How should such a loose covering be generated by the action of the heart? 
does not the enclosing of it in a sack answering no other purpose but that enclosure show the care that has been taken of its preservation one use of the circulation of the blood probably amongst other uses is to distribute nourishment to the different parts of the body how minute and multiplied the ramifications of the blood vessels for that purpose are and how thickly spread over at least the superficies of the body is proved by the single observation that we cannot prick the point of a pin into the flesh without drawing blood i e without finding a blood vessel nor internally is their diffusion less universal blood vessels run along the surface of membranes pervade the substance of muscles penetrate the bones even into every tooth we trace through a small hole in the root an artery to feed the bone as well as a vein to bring back the spare blood from it both which with the addition of an accompanying nerve form a thread only a little thicker than a horsehair wherefore when the nourishment taken in at the mouth has once reached and mixed itself with the blood every part of the body is in the way of being supplied with it and this introduces another grand topic namely the manner in which the aliment gets into the blood which is a subject distinct from the preceding and brings us to the consideration of another entire system of vessels end of section ten